We're going to take a look at something that we all have experienced, and we all will experience. As I frequently say, I can resist anything except temptation. And we're going to see how Jesus was tempted, and we're going to see how he dealt with it. We're going to talk about how we can resist temptation. So today is both, if you will, a discussion of, of biblical knowledge and doctrine, but some practical experience and, and application as well. So in chapter 4 Matthew, we see that then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So Jesus is specifically led by the Spirit to go into the wilderness to be tempted. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Now, 40 days and 40 nights was a long time. And if you and I were to start such a fast, we would probably die. But for those who have experience and know how to fast and know the different types of fast, it's not unexpected for Jesus to be able to do this in the 40 days and 40 nights. But it's also there to compare how Jesus conducts himself in the wilderness and how the people of God conducted themselves in the wilderness. So unsurprisingly, after 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, now let me stop there. He says, if you are the Son of God, that question, if, for us, has several different meanings. You can have a meaning like, if, for instance, when Lazarus passed away, Mary said, Jesus, if you had been here, but you weren't, he wouldn't have died. Or we could say, if in the sense of, I don't know the answer. But in this if, it's if you are the Son of God, and you are. You see, Satan isn't asking the question because he doesn't know. He's asking, asking the question because he knows who Jesus is, the Son of God, and therefore he should do what the Satan suggests to him. So if you are the Son of God, and you are, command that these stones become bread. Right off the bat, Satan comes to him and tempts him with his need at that particular time. He's hungry. So Satan says, well, if you're the Son of God, then command these stones to be made bread. When the children were in the, of Israel were in the wilderness, no sooner were they there, they started complaining that God wasn't going to feed them and they were going to die. Because it seems to us that we're always concentrating on the temporary. And Jesus is going to show us in his response, we're not to concentrate on the temporary, but on the eternal. And so, in essence, Satan's saying, make a quick fix, since you're the Son of God, Provide yourself your physical needs, your appetite. Now let me say this about that. Every single appetite you have, no matter how much you satiate it, 
it will come back. So for instance, you're hungry. So you go to a great place that has the type of food that you like. So I'm going to, for me, I like really good steaks. So you go to an excellent steakhouse and you eat the steak and all the sides and the dessert and your stuff. And you don't know how you're going to be able to put another mouthful into your mouth. But you want to because it tastes so good. But you are not only satisfied, you're overly filled. Anybody have experienced that? Have you eaten since then? You see, appetites never, ever are satiated. We're always hungry. Now, that's part of the way God made us, that we're supposed to eat and take care of our bodies. But that's the way appetites are. But you take any appetite. We, the appetite for wanting certain success until we achieve it, and then we want more. And then the people that we see that we think are successful don't seem to be satiated by it because it's not filling. But that's how we get deceived in these temptations because we just think, if God will just do this to fill my appetite, everything will be wonderful until the next day when we're hungry again. And Jesus understands that it's not about the temporary. So he says this, it is, but he answered and said, it is written. So Jesus' response to the temptation is to quote scripture. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Right away he says, I'm different than the people of God were. They were concerned about the temporary. I'm concerned about the eternal, that I am going to dwell and exist on every word that is spoken by God. Can you think how different our prayer lives would be if we were concerned more about the eternal than about the temporary? Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, and you are, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So the next counter to Jesus' scripture response to Satan is for Satan to script quote scripture. So he's saying, well, if you're the son of God and you are, it's written that God is going to protect you. So why don't you throw yourself off to show how God is going to protect you? He quotes scripture, but he doesn't quote it in the sense of the principle. He quotes it in sense of the rules. And all you have to do is turn on to a number of religious programming, especially during the times when they're trying to fundraise for their telecast, which all too often is always. It used to disturb me. You would watch, and even some of the people that you would go, he's worth watching. 
but they would spend the first part of their program in fundraising. And my, my thought was, if I get past your fundraising, then you have something worth to say, then I would listen to it. But most people are going to turn you off because they don't want to get to the, to the fundraising part. But part of their fundraising is, if you give your money to my ministry, God says he will bless you and do all these things, and he takes the scriptures out of context. It isn't the Word of God saying, if you give to His ministry, but if you give to the storehouse of God. But even that, what He's doing is saying, and He'll even be honest enough and say, test God. See if it's not true. Notice what Jesus says in response to the quoted Scripture. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So here are all of these supposedly wonderful religious people asking you to put God to the test when Jesus says that's not what we're supposed to do. There might be some question, there might be some promises, but you're not to test God. You're to trust Him. So again, in our temptation, we need to understand the Scripture, but we also need to understand there are those who will misquote the Scripture for their benefit. Verse 8, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now we're cutting to the chase. This is what Satan has wanted ever since Satan became Satan. He wants worship. He wanted Adam and Eve to worship. He wanted the angels to worship. He wants worship. So he goes, Jesus, I'm going to make it easy on you. You've come and eventually... According to the Father's plan, you're going to suffer, die, and then you'll be the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's cut to the chase. You can have it now. You can have the easy road. Just worship me. And if Satan couldn't give it to him, then it would be an empty promise. But Satan could. Worship me, and I'll make your life easy. How many of us are willing to do that for our lives to be easy. But notice Jesus' quick response. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see, Satan has now gotten to the chase and Jesus says, you got to the chase. I don't want to hear any more. Out. Go. Because of all the things is written. We are to love and serve the Lord our God only. All of the laws and all the principles fall down to that. Then the devil left him. I'm going to stop in that mid-verse. 
and go to Luke chapter 4, verse 13, which is the same narrative about the temptation. And Luke adds this, And when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Now I want you to understand this. Jesus just did battle with Satan and won. But Satan doesn't acknowledge it. He's going to come back for an opportune time. So guess what? Just because we might do battle with Satan and be successful on this particular time doesn't mean we no longer have to worry about him. He will come back for an opportune time. He knows your weaknesses, and he will probe, and he will prod, and he will seek those out. So when there is an opportune time, you can count on Satan coming back. So your spiritual battle is not a complete victory until Jesus returns and Satan is disposed of. So after Satan leaves and after he's done every temptation and notice we're given three, kind of the big ones. I'm sure Satan had a whole lot of other things that he talked about to Jesus. But the scriptures don't record it. So after the devil left and behold, the angels came and began to minister to him. They ministered. Could you imagine what would have happened with the people of God if they would have been as obedient to the Lord as Jesus was? Instead of always wondering about the manna falling when this is the manna of God and the water and the next thing and the next day and the next day, if they'd have just seen the hand of God. So that's how Jesus dealt with temptations. He dealt with them understanding the Word of God, quoting the Word of God, but completely understanding the Word of God. We are much more successful in our temptations if we will understand that. The apostles also understood that temptation is a very real aspect of the Christian life. So Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, he writes this, No temptation has overcome you, but such is common to man. Guess what? You're not the only person being tempted. It is a commonality of being a human, is being tempted. So even though we like to think that we're unique, and we are, but the aspect is, is that we all are subject to temptation. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So Paul tells us, Temptation is going to be common. You're not a sinner because you're tempted. And you're not a saint because you're tempted. It is a commonality. Sinners 
saints, and everybody in between is subject to temptation. But the promise God has is that there is not a temptation that is going to be beyond what we are able to handle. And if that temptation comes, that God is going to show us a way of escape. Now I'm going to give you my, one of my stories. I've said this before. I think it's a great analogy, so I'm going to keep using it. I love chocolate. I always use chocolate as an example of sin, and the counter to other sins is broccoli. Broccoli has no temptation to me. I could walk by broccoli, and it just doesn't have any hold on me, whether it's cooked or raw or in a salad or in a soup. I just, I don't want it, okay? No temptation. Chocolate, on the other hand, I find myself being a good little boy just going through the checkout stand because there's all the little chocolate candy bars. They're all kinds. You know, there's Reese's with peanut butter, and there's M&M's with the little guys, and there's the big, big bars and, and all that stuff. And I don't buy it. I res- but it's the temptation. We walk around in life like the person who is wa- walking down the city streets, and on the other side of the street is a candy store. And we know that there's all kinds of chocolate there. And chocolate's my temptation. And I just think, well, you know, it'll be okay if I just cross to the side of the street that the candy store's on. It'll be okay. And kind of like Adam and Eve, I, nothing happens to me. I don't get by, hit by a bus on my way across the street, so it must be okay. And then I said, well, I'll walk past the candy store, but I won't stop. But then it's got this big window, glass window, and it, all the chocolate's there, and I can smell the chocolate. So I just, just, there's no harm in just looking at the chocolate, right? I can just look, and I can take a couple of breaths of, of, the, of the chocolate spell. Well, I can go into the store. It's okay. I won't eat any, actually. I'll just admire it. And then I go into the store, and then they have chocolate-covered toffee. Well, it's toffee. I mean, that's not chocolate. Yeah, I know it's covered in chocolate, but it's, it, it, a little bit will be okay. And then what do I do? I buy it, and I eat it, and then I feel guilty. Now, in my story, notice all the opportunities I had to escape. First, I could have gone down a different street. Second, I could have not crossed the street. I could have walked really far fast past the candy store. I could have not lingered at the window. I could have not gone into the store. I could have not have bought it. All of those ways that are provided escapes, but I don't take advantage of any of them. And then after I ate the candy, well, God didn't stop me. He provided all kinds of opportunities for me to escape. So I hope the next time you're tempted, you think of my candy store illustration. Peter also deals with temptation and deals with how to handle the adversary. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 through 11, 13, it says this, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time 
before he even starts about our adversary, he tells us a very simple and important aspect to avoiding temptation. Be humble. You see, when you think you're something, Satan's going to show you you're nothing. But when you understand that it's the grace of God that has covered you, and you are humble, as Jesus was humble, you'll be more of a victor. Understand that he will exalt you at the proper time. Casting all, not some, not part, not the important, not the unimportant, all of your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. There is nothing that you go through, whether it's temptation or difficulty, that God doesn't care. Be a sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, when I was a young person, I never thought I had to worry about this. Because my thought was, I was not that important. So why would Satan bother with me? Because if you're attempting to do something for God, and that doesn't mean being Billy Graham, that means living a life that is glorifying him, he wants to sidetrack you. So he's looking for somebody he can devour. But resist him. How? Firm in your faith. You see, Jesus quoted scripture, not because he quoted scripture, but because he believed the word of God. We resist the Satan by being firm in our faith. Several years ago, a pastor in Orange County lost the child. And he said something that I thought was very wise. He said, don't trade what you do know about God for what you don't know about God. We may not understand why we would lose a child, but we understand that God is love and that he cares for us. So don't trade, well, why did this happen? God must not love me. Yes, God does. Why this happened? I may not give you an answer. You may know in eternity. But you don't trade what you do know for what you don't know. So we stand firm in our faith because we know that the grace of God covers us and saves us. Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Again, all the suffering and all this temptation and all this againstness is a commonality. Other brothers and sisters are experiencing the very same thing. Yes, we're unique, but we have things in common. Notices are being accomplished, which means the suffering and the temptation has a purpose. When Jesus was tempted, it showed that he could resist and continue on in God's word. 
knowing that God cares for us, knowing the Word of God, and acting in that way glorifies Him more than you know. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I don't know why we suffer other than the Word of God says it will make us perfect, it will confirm us, it will strengthen us, and it will establish us. You see, you don't know that you can trust God in all things until you trust God in all things. I know the areas in my life that I can trust Him because I've experienced those things. There's other things that I pray, God, please don't test me in that because I don't know if I can meet the test. But I do know as those things come, it's to perfect me, it's to complete me, it's to strengthen and to establish me. Now, when it comes to temptation, we all seem to be like a comedian many years ago, those of you who are as old as me will remember him, his name was Flip Wilson. Flip Wilson was a very funny guy. And he had this kind of trade thing that said, the devil made me do it. And our culture, the reason it was funny was because we all believed it. The devil makes me do things. And even whether it's cartoons or other things, we'll have a little angel on one side and a little Satan on the other, and he'll tell us, they'll argue back and forth, and we'll either go one way or the other way because, you know, whatever. But it's not our fault. Because if we decide to do the wrong thing, it's because the devil made me do it. James has a different view. James chapter 1, starting with verse 12, says this, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So, remember I said, most of us are all concerned about appetites, not the eternal. God is not giving us a temporary crown. He's going to give us a crown of life to those who have been approved by persevering under trial. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am be tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So the temptation you receive is not because God did it. While we are weak, we may want to continue praying as Jesus instructed his disciples, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. But God never tempts us with evil. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Notice it's not the devil that makes me do it. It's my own desires. It's my own lust. It's my own passions. But we live in a society where you're, it's not your fault. You deserve only the best. 
And so when it's not your fault, it's okay. The scripture says, eh, wrong. You can't blame other people. You can't blame. Yes, there are times when Satan will come and will tempt you. But there's a lot of times when I walk past that candy store, it's not because the devil had any direction in it. It's because I like candy. I like chocolate. He didn't need to tempt me. I did it on my own. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And you can see that is where we don't have the long view. Because I think, well, chocolate's great. It smells good. It tastes really great, whatever. But I don't look at the end result. So pick whatever sin you're thinking of. And again, I never use sins because... The sins that I might pick, you might say, well, you're talking about me, you're talking about, so I, I use chocolate and broccoli, okay? So whatever's your chocolate, whatever's your broccoli. The long term is death. We don't have the long view. I want to conclude this teaching on temptation in Hebrews. Because it brings us back to Jesus' temptation and how he dealt with it and how we should deal with Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things. Jesus experienced every single temptation you have. Jesus not only can empathize, Jesus can sympathize because he went through what you are going through. We don't have someone who doesn't understand where we're at. Yet, without sin. Jesus never yielded to the temptation. It wasn't like he had no temptation and just lived a perfect life and everything was fine. Jesus experienced temptation not just in the desert, in the wilderness, but through his entire ministry. Yet, without sin. Now, for those who are religious, we tend to, well... Broccoli's no big deal to me, so why do you have a problem with broccoli? I don't understand why you have a problem with broccoli. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus says, I understand all about broccoli. I understand that it's, it's a temptation for you. I don't condemn you. I understand. I didn't yield to it. And you don't have to either, because there's a way of escape. And the awesome thing is, not only is there a way of escape, even when we sin, he died for us to cover that sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, oftentimes and too often, we think about that as being a time 
when there's difficulty in our lives, it's also the time when we're being tempted and under trial. That is when we should flee, resist the devil, and flee to Jesus. Because he understands. He sympathizes. We find not rebuke, but we find acceptance and position of love. So that we may find mercy and find grace to help. You see, our high priest knows. He knows what you're going through. Not in some sense of he knows everything because he does know everything. But he also knows because he's been there. He's been in your shoes and has understood the temptation and understands because he's been fully human and fully God how weak we are. What kind of feats of clay we have. And as he said all the way back in his beginning of his ministry, I didn't come to condemn the world because it's condemned already. He came to offer salvation and he's come to offer salvation to you and me, those of us who have been subject to temptation and trial and even when we submit. He's still there, sympathizing and saying, come to me. Come to me, those who thirst, because I've been there, I've thirsted. Come to me who are hungry, because I've been there, I've been hungry. Come to me to those who Satan has taken the weakest part of you and said, aha, go the easy way. I've been there. You can find mercy and grace in me. So how is it that we face temptation and trial? By turning to Jesus, knowing that he knows, knowing that he cares, and knowing that he was without sin and even so loves us anyway. In a moment, we're going to sing the song of reflection. He knows. You're not as alone as you thought. Your brothers and your sisters have gone through much of what you've gone through. So there is community there. There is understanding there. But your Lord has also gone through what you have gone through, but without sin. He knows, and he cares. And all God's people said,
God, your fight has been how deep the pain within, the wounds that no one else has seen, hurts too much to show. And all the doubt is standing in between, and all the way that brings you to From Psalms 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary, and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, and from the north and from the south. And because of this week's message, verse 9, for he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hearted. Great are you, Lord, mighty and strength. You are faithful, you will ever be. We will praise you all of our days. For your glory, we are forever